Hi everyone, Jeremy here. I'm one of the pastors at The Way Church and just wanted to welcome you to today's sermon. I don't know where you're at today, but we often think about those who are hearing and listening online. And our prayer for you is that whatever you're facing today, you be strengthened as you listen and that you be pointed towards the person of Jesus. Who is he? This tiny human being laying on the straw in a cattle trough. Who is he? Or as the 19th century carol sang, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? I submit to you that it is the most important question we can ask about the Christmas story. Who is he? The one to whom shepherds bow in contagious joy, the one before whom kings would later come and bow in reverent adoration. Who is he? I further submit to you that it is the most important question anyone can ask any season. Who is he? So on this Christmas Eve, I'm going to invite you to listen to just some of the answers. Listening to how those who actually met him answer the question, and then listening to how he himself answers the question. Listening to what is said about him and listening to what is said by him. I know he is only an infant on Christmas Eve, but he would later speak for himself. What is said about him and what is said by him. As I help us hear some of these answers, maybe for the hundredth time or for the first time, I'm going to be working up to and then spending the most time in the last recorded by, word by him, recorded for us on the last page of the Bible in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. We know his name, and in one sense, the name says it all, Jesus. At the time that the angel Gabriel announced to his mother that she would conceive a child while yet a virgin, the angel told her to call him Jesus. A few weeks later, when the angel then visited his adoptive father Joseph in a dream, the angel told him to call Mary's child Jesus. And the angel explained why he would have this name, for he himself will save his people from their sins. He himself will save. That is what his name means. He himself will save us in every way human beings need to be saved. We hear what the angel Gabriel went on to say that when, I'm sorry, yeah. We hear what the angel Gabriel went on to say about him after he had told Jesus' virgin mother she would conceive. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. 
we hear what the angel went on to say when he came to Jesus' adoptive father in that dream. The angel quoted from the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bear a son, and she calls, will call his name Emmanuel, which the angel told Joseph means God with us. God with us. God with us. <laughs> he is God with us. That little human being lying on the straw in the cattle trough is God with us. We could spend the rest of the day working through the wonder of that name. And we hear what the angel said to the shepherds on that holy night when he spoke the gospel to them as they were watching over their sheep. I bring you good news of great joy, he said. For born for you is the Savior, who is Messiah, Lord. Savior, Messiah, the embodiment of all the promises made to Israel. Lord, sovereign, sovereign of sovereigns. And we could spend the rest of the day reflecting with the shepherds on what that means for our lives and for the life of the world. And we hear what that prophet, who was sent to prepare Jesus' way, said about Jesus. We hear John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, saying, he who is coming after me is greater than I. John is born six months before Jesus, his cousin. Yet John says, he existed before me. I'm not even fit to remove his sandals. This is the Son of God. This is the one who baptizes in and with the Holy Spirit. And then when John saw Jesus coming to the, down the road, he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we hear what people began to say about him during his public ministry. Causing this, who is he, question to surface again and again. What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. Who is this that even the wind and sea obey him? On it goes. Hearing what others said about him. But the really important thing this Christmas Eve is hearing what he said by him. We hear what he said when he was only 12 years old. He had gone with his parents to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover. After the feast, his parents head back to Nazareth, but they soon discover that he is not following them. He's not in this caravan with the other people traveling with Mary and Joseph. So they return to Jerusalem and they frantically seek for him. When they find him, he says, did you not know I needed to be about my father's business? My father's business, revealing his identity. He is the son of God the Father and revealing his mission. He's come to fulfill the purpose of the Father. As he would later say, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And we hear what he said when he was then 30 years old and entered into his public ministry. We hear him answer this question with a series of I am statements. We hear what he said to a crowd of 5,000 people whom he had just fed with five little loaves and two fish. We hear him say, I am the bread of life. And we hear him say, 
Anyone who comes to me will never hunger. Bread of life. How appropriate, given the fact that Bethlehem means house of bread. We hear what he said to people who witnessed him giving sight to a person born blind. We hear him say, I'm the light of the world. And then we hear him say, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We hear him say what he said in an intense conversation with the leaders of Israel in Jerusalem. I'm the good shepherd. The false shepherd, he says, only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We hear him say what he said to the sister of his good friend Lazarus, who had died and had been laying in the tomb for four days. To Martha, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me shall live even if he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Oh my goodness, like we could spend the rest of the day thinking about that, I am too. We hear what he said to his disciple named Thomas. Jesus had told him and the others that he would soon be leaving them and return to the where he had come. And he said, you know the way where I'm going. Thomas, who is always trying to understand exactly what Jesus meant, says to him, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to them, I'm the way and the truth and the life. A question all of us ask at some time or another, how do you find the way? I'm the way and the truth and the life. And we hear what he said about himself years after he was crucified and raised from the dead. I want us to especially hear what he says about himself to the apostle John. John was Jesus' closest friend during his earthly life. The year was 96 AD. It was a time of disorientation and fear in the Roman Empire, a time of increasing oppression by a dictator. It was a time of deepening darkness in the culture and pressing in on the church. John is on the prison island of Patmos. He is sent there because of all of his preaching of Jesus that the Roman government found very threatening. Jesus tells John what John had never heard before. But what are the implications of everything said about Jesus on Christmas Eve? Jesus says to John, and then through John to us, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. It's what I have heard more clearly than ever as I've meditated this Christmas season. I am the Alpha and Omega. You know that Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I am the first and the last, he adds. Not just another way of saying alpha and omega. But as it were, I am the first and the last of any alphabet. I am the first and the last of any sequence. And then, I am the beginning and the end, he adds. Again, it's not just a repetition. He is saying, I am before the alpha and after the omega. I am before the first 
and I'm after the last. The word translated beginning is the word arche. It comes into the English language and the word archetype. And arche means the head or the source. I am the head of everything. I am the source of all life. The word end is the word telos. And telos means the inherent destiny. I'm the goal of everything. I'm the inherent destiny of all of life. I am where it all came from, and I am where it is all moving. The little boy lying in that manger on that night in the little town of Bethlehem is the head and source of everything. He is the goal and inherent destiny of all of life. Which is why he is inescapable. It's why the shepherds were drawn to him on that Christmas Eve. It's why the kings traveled thousands of kilometers to find him. It's why every strata of society during his earthly ministry was drawn to him. It's why people all over the world today are drawn to him. He is there in the beginning as the source. He is there in the end as the inherent destiny. Meaning, no matter which way you turn, you run into Jesus. Meaning, no one can finally run from Jesus. <laughs> I mean, no one can finally escape the source of their existence. And no one can finally escape the inherent destiny of their existence. Jesus is the one great escapable of reality. But he does not leave it there. He goes on to say to John, and through John to us, the last recorded word spoken by him. Revelation twenty-two sixteen. I am the bright morning star. Spoken to John, not in a beautiful sanctuary, but on a prison island. It was 42 years ago now, in 1981, that I first heard Jesus make this I am claim. Oh, I had read it before many times, on the last page of the Bible. But it was in 1981 that I finally heard him. It was the year that the walls seemed to cave in upon me. It was a year of increasing darkness and deep despair. The irony was that there was nothing in my life, objectively, that would have led to that state of being. I was happily married to a beautiful woman and partner in the gospel. God had given us a little boy as our son. I was pastoring one of the fastest growing churches in Southern California. I was in demand as a Bible teacher in all kinds of places. But there I was, engulfed in a deep cloud, dark cloud, and not sure whether I could carry on. In the summer of that year, the elders of the church gave me a three-month sabbatical. So we headed off to the mountains of Colorado for our ideal break. And to my horror, the darkness intensified. Late one night, I was reading through the last book of the Bible, and I finally heard, and I finally saw, and I finally felt what Jesus is saying to us in that last word. I am the bright morning star. 
And I have clung to that ever since. In the Roman world, the bright morning star is Venus. It's a symbol of victory and sovereignty. Roman generals, before they went to the battle, appealed to the star for help. Temples to the star were erected all over the empire. Caesar's legions carried the star on their, on the, on their standards. By calling himself the bright morning star, Jesus is claiming that he is victor and sovereign. In the Jewish world, the morning star would recall a prophecy by a man named Balaam. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall come forth from Israel. The prophecy was taken to refer to Messiah, who would come, overthrow injustice and oppression, and bring in God's shalom. By calling himself the morning star, Jesus is declaring that he has come to fulfill all those promises that he is bringing in Messiah's kingdom. But how does this help John when he's on a prison island? That is, how does this help John when there is no evidence, or at least no visible evidence, that this is the case? The answer lies in the astrophysical phenomena of the morning star. Late that night in Colorado, I was reading a book, by, a book entitled Idols of Our Time, by a man named Bob Goudsvart, member of the Dutch Parliament, and at that time, a professor of economics. That night, I read these words. The morning star often appears between two and three at night when the darkness is complete, but when the faintest sign of the morning is not yet visible. I want to read that again. The morning star appears between two and three at night when the darkness is complete, but the faintest sign of the morning is not yet visible. He continues, so small that it threatens to vanish, the star seems unable to vanquish the overpowering darkness. Isn't that often how it feels? So small, it threatens to vanish. The star seems unable to vanquish the overpowering darkness. He goes on, yet when you see the morning star, you know that the night has been defeated. Oh, there may be four or five more hours of the night to go. But when you see the morning star, you realize that it's just a matter of time until the sun rises in all of its fullness. You know that the night has been defeated. And then Gautzvard writes this. The morning star pulls the morning in behind it. Isn't that a marvelous phrase? The morning star pulls the morning in behind it just as Jesus pulls the kingdom in behind him. And that is why Jesus uses this I am saying and why he saves it as the last recorded word by him. The morning star only appears when the night has reached its deepest darkness. The morning star does not appear in the daylight. It does not even appear in the early evening. It only appears when the night has reached its deepest darkness, but long before there is any tangible evidence that this is the case. Jesus is saying to us, do not judge by appearances. Things are not only as they seem, because I have come 
because I have been born into the darkness, because I have lived your life and died your death and conquered your grave, because I'm alive in the darkness, because I am there with you in the darkness, faint as though my presence may be, you know that contrary to appearances, the night has been defeated. Why then? Why after Jesus makes this claim to John and to us, do the powers of the night still have such influence? Did John get it wrong? Did Jesus get it wrong? Heaven forbid. Is his gospel, after all, just another human wish dream? No, says John, a thousand times no. Then what gives? The fact is, all the turmoil and all the upheaval is happening because his gospel is true. Really? Yes. The night is being invaded by the light, and the light is resisting with all its might. As long as drug lords, drug lords and human traffickers can operate in the night, they can do their work calmly. But once they are exposed, they either repent or they will do everything they can to extinguish the light. Thomas Torrance of Scotland once put it this way, it is because the kingdom of God has already invaded this world and is breaking up the kingdoms thereof that evil is provoked to such bitterness and to its final desperation. The ferocity of the night does not negate Jesus' claim. It validates it. The night knows it has been defeated and it is doing everything it can to reverse the verdict of the day. I have good news of great joy for you today. A savior has been born. Who is he? That little boy born in Bethlehem of Judea. He is Messiah. He is Lord. He is Emmanuel. He's the son of God. He's the one who baptizes in and with the Holy Spirit. He's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the alpha and omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am the bright morning star. And when we see him in the picture, however faint his presence may seem, we have hope. We can carry on. Looking into the manger this Christmas Eve, I hear him saying to me and to you, I know that often I and my gospel seem so small as over against the powerful ideologies that seem to rule the world. I know that often I and my gospel seem unable to vanquish the massive forces that seemingly run the world. Look at me. Keep your eyes on me. I'm the bright morning star. For when you see me in the midst of it all, you know that the night has reached its greatest level of darkness and I am pulling the kingdom in behind me. Merry Christmas. Thanks for taking time to listen to today's message. 
If you're interested in learning more about The Way Church or if you want to get connected in any way, you can go to our website, thewaychurch.ca, and we would love to hear from you. Again, our prayer was that you were strengthened through today's teaching. Trust that you were, and much love from our team to you.